0: In 2010, the Guardian newspaper published a list of their top 25 horror movies of all time. The top 10 was littered with the usual suspects from within the genre. Psycho, The Shining, Rosemary's Baby and The Exorcist. Movies which were critical successes in their time and beyond. number nine on the list was a French-German horror movie from 1932 called Vampire. A movie which was critically panned upon its release and would temporarily turn its director into a box office pariah. Hi, I'm Duncan McLeish and you're listening to Chronicle Podcast, an almanac of old world horrors. Ignition. T-minus 10. Nine, eight, seven, six. Five, four, three, two, one, zero, lift off. Welcome back to Chronicle Podcast, an almanac of old world horrors. I'm your host Duncan McLeish, and this is episode number two of season one of the show. In this season, we're looking at the vampirism subgenre of horror within European cinema. Last week we looked at Nosferatu, a symphony of horrors, and this week we are looking at the 1932 French-German production Vampire. But before we get into all that, can I just first thank on this show everyone that checked out episode number one, our debut episode. The download figures were ridiculously high and the feedback that I have had back from the listeners out there has been immensely positive and I can only thank you all from the bottom of my heart. If this is your first time listening to Chronicle Podcast, please go back and listen to our debut episode. It sets the stage for what is to come on season one. We are looking exclusively at European horror cinema and each season of this show will look into a particular subgenre from within. I'm so immensely proud and humbled that people are going to undertake this journey with me. That being said, it's time to cast an eye on *Vampire* from 1932. You're listening to Chronicle Podcast. Stay with us. The movie follows a young man by the name of Alan Gray, who has an overactive imagination which often leads him to fantasise about ghosts and other spectres. Grey is travelling and due to stay at the inn in the village of Count Hermpierre. When he is booked in he finds that the old innkeeper locks the door to his room each night and this is justified by the old man as a necessity when he tells Grey that she must not die. When he does this, he leaves a note with an artifact on a kitchen table. The note reads, To be opened upon my death. Grey, being inquisitive, goes outside and finds a shadow. During this journey, he begins to see a number of spectral visions shadows dancing mysteriously to music and a suspicious looking man who later turns out to be the village doctor. Grey continues his exploration and finally wanders to the nearby manor where he is witness to the apparent murder of the old man from earlier. He appears to be killed by a gunshot. In shock, he rushes to save him but ends up meeting with the old man's two daughters, Gazelle and Leone. Leone is very ill. Grey is offered to stay at the manor which he accepts. Later that day, Gazelle and Grey see Leone walking outside in the Grimm's. They go out to find her and come across her unconscious, with a fresh bite wound on her neck. She's taken inside and looked after and when she regains consciousness she glares with intent to her sister for a split second conveying to the audience that she may be under the control of something sinister. Grey then opens up the package that the old man had given him earlier and discovers that it's a book about vampires. When he begins to read, he learns that vampires feast on human blood and can force people they bite to become their enslaved minions. The village doctor we saw earlier comes to look after Leone and discusses that a potential treatment could be that Grey donates blood. Grey agrees to this blood transfusion, after which he becomes very weak and falls asleep. We then find out that the Doctor is in collusion with a mysterious old blind woman we saw earlier in Grey's vision at the chateau. The Doctor is about to poison Leone, but she's saved when Grey regains consciousness, leaving the Doctor with no other option but to flee the manor. Grey gives chase outside but accidentally falls. He then appears to dream or have an outer body experience during which he witnesses himself being buried in a coffin by the doctor and the old blind woman. He finally awakens from this dream and rushes to rescue Gazelle who has been tied up by the doctor as the next victim but the doctor manages to get away again. One of the elderly servants of the manor comes across the vampire book and begins reading He comes to the understanding that the vampire can only be killed when an iron stake is driven through its heart. He also realises that their vampire is a woman buried in the Counterpierre Cemetery by the name of Marguerite Chopin. The servant advises Grey and they make their way to the cemetery. When they arrive and open up her grave, she appears to be well preserved and they drive a stake through her heart. When they do this she immediately turns into a skeleton. That only leaves the Doctor, who's currently hiding out in the village mill. The Doctor tries to hide and ends up trapped in a flour bin. And the old servant puts the mill machinery into operation, burying him alive with flour. In the meantime, Grey gets into a rowboat with Gazelle to make the river crossing in the fog. They manage to find their way to the other side of the river, walking out into the sunlight and salvation. You're listening to Chronicle Podcast. Stay with us. Imagine we're sitting in an ordinary room. Suddenly, we're told there's a corpse behind the door. Immediately the room we're sitting in changes character. Every single everyday item in it looks different. The light and the atmosphere change without actually having changed physically. Because we have changed and the things are the way we perceive them. This is the effect I want to produce in my films. Carol Theodor Dreher was born in 1889 and he's now recognised as not only one of Denmark's most famous but one of the most important filmmakers in history. I don't believe it's unfair to say that this adoration came posthumously as the vast majority of his filmography were considered failures when they debuted on the silver screen. De Reyes started his career as a journalist before moving on to directing films. The director would later sign a deal and move his base of operations to France. There his first project he would undertake was a project which he would believe would catapult him to greatness, the passion of Joan of Arc. However, this movie did not create the success that Dreher had hoped for, as it was not a success at the box office. Not wanting to be deterred, Dreher immediately planned to move on to his next film project, which would be a horror movie. However, it did take him several years to secure the very limited backing for his next French-based production. This movie would be Vampire. By this time we had already moved away from silent cinema and sound was all the rage. Andrea, not believing in the use of subtitles in movies, decided that Vampyr would be shot in three different languages, English, German and French. After much work filming in three different languages, Dre would ultimately see German authorities censor the movie. This would result in him later on going back to re-edit the movie in that language. Nosferatu, a symphony of horrors, was still very much fresh in his mind and he had realised the difficulties Marnow had went through under that production. Dreyer ultimately decided that he would not approach the Stoker estate for permission. Instead, what he would do would use a different text as its basis. So where Nosferatu's basis lies ultimately in Bram Stoker's Dracula, Der Heer's vampire would be based on the J. Shirden and Le Fonu novella Carmela. In particular, from this collection, he would base it on the short story In A Glass Darkly. However, this would be used as just the slightest of basis for the story. With Dreher at the helm changing with artistic license, ultimately his vampires would have more in common with Marnow's than they would with Todd Brown's. When the film was finally complete, Vampire was to have its premiere in Germany, however was ultimately delayed by the UFA, as this studio wanted the American films Dracula and Frankenstein to be released first, and so it was scheduled for premiere in Berlin, 6 of May, 1932. This would only be the start of the problems. When the film was finally premiered, the audience booed the film, which led Dreer to cut several scenes out after that showing. The film was then distributed in France and its premiere set in Paris in September, 1932, where it was to be the opening attraction of a new cinema on the Boulevard Raspail. The movie would underperform here, and at its next premiere in Vienna, audiences demanded their money back. When this was denied, a riot broke out that led to police having to restore order with force. By March 1933, the movie was set for premiere in Copenhagen. The director would not show to this screening, fearing the audience reaction. The culmination of the film's poor performance and some personal troubles the director was going through at the time would ultimately lead to him having a nervous breakdown where he was sent to a mental hospital in France to recuperate. For all intense purposes, this movie was a failure. So why do we look upon this film now with such reverence? And why is Drea's career now one which is met with the adoration of critics alike? I think we can say, with a degree of certainty, without Drea we wouldn't have filmmakers such as Werner Herzog or Lars von Trier. Furthermore, he's regarded in high reverence by the likes of Guillermo del Toro. And at its core, much of that can be put down to the arthouse aesthetic, he brought to movies like Vampire. Because, regardless of what you'd think of him as a filmmaker, there is no denying that Vampire is quite possibly the most unique vampire film ever made. It's at times disjointed and very difficult to follow, forces a perspective change from the audience from certain characters' points of view. It's haunting, deliberate and beautiful, evoking at times elements of German surreal expressionism, whilst at the same time crafting elements of dream logic. It also forces the audience at times to glare upon uncomfortable images, the idea of our central character being buried alive not only buried alive but at the same time viewing himself being buried alive. Ideas of the vampire lore are here, the stake through the heart, but the story also plays with other ideas. The use of ghosts or spectral images which haunt the character. These are used at times to make the audience uncertain as to The authenticity of what they're seeing. Are these images real or not? This director had a singular vision. It was meticulous. The sort of meticulous you would expect from directors like Lynch or Kubrick. And to critics at the time, this was observed as being cold. However, this would go on and inspire generations of filmmakers. And generations of cinema. So you could argue that out of all six movies I'm covering in this section of Chronicle Podcast, Vampyr is the most unique and at the same time one of the most important movies on the list. It was several years before Dreher released another movie due to the Second World War and the Nazi occupation of Denmark. He would follow up Vampyr with Day of Wrath. A black and white movie about witches. And we may look at this movie somewhere down the line on a future series of Chronicle. Carol Theodore Dreher passed away at age 79 on the 20th of March 1968. You're listening to Chronicle Podcast. Stay with us. And you've been listening to episode number two of season one of Chronicle Podcast, an almanac of old world horrors. We've been looking at Vampyr from 1932. In two weeks time we'll be looking at another seminal work. Many could argue that if it wasn't for Black Sunday, the renaissance of Italian horror cinema would never have happened. And while we review this movie, we'll also look at its enigmatic director, Mario Bava. But let me just thank you all for the support for this show. I hope you're enjoying it. I hope you go out and check out Vampyr. The copy I used to review was the Criterion Blu-ray release. In the UK, we have a DVD version released through Eureka. As always I want to thank Von Herzog for our intro and outro music but I'd also like to thank uh, another musician who contributed music to this episode. Anthony aka Details has a Soundcloud page which you should go and check out. It's soundcloud.com forward slash d3 t-a-i-l-s. I'm a big fan of his music and he allowed permission for his music to be used on this episode. Thank you very much Anthony, I hope you enjoyed it and um, thank you very much for the use of your music. I'm also overjoyed to say that Chronicle Podcast has been picked up and is exclusive on Legion Podcast Network. You can check out this show and a multitude of other shows, including my other show, The Podcast Under The Stairs, over at legionpodcast.com. We also have our own iTunes podcast feed. If you go and search for Chronicle Podcast, you will find this show. Subscribe to that show and leave us some feedback. It is the best way to support future productions, and it's free. The more five-star reviews that we get, the higher up the ratings we get pushed, the more likely that more people will check out this project. And if you want to listen to more of me you have my other show the podcast under the stairs which is a weekly horror podcast with myself and some guests conical podcast was written recorded and produced by me for you join me in two weeks time to discuss mario bava's black sunday but until the next time remember it's good to have an end to journey towards but it's the journey that matters in the end This is Duncan MacLeish from Chronicle Podcast, an almanac of old world horrors. Until the next time. Ignition. T-10. 9. 8. 7. 6. 5. 4. 3. 2. 1. 0. Liftoff.